This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 95 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. That was kind of a hot intro, so I need to tone it down a little bit here. Nick um, Nick Maxson is who I'm talking to uh, joining me here. I'm Noah Grant. We're happy to have you here as always. Nick's in the same location, but a different location. Caleb Peabody is watching with intent interest. We'll get to that in just a second, but we get well, a lot of... Run. Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, <laughs> I think that's singular, not plural from what it looks like. The There's light other lights on. that are off camera, so that's all that matters. Uh, Caleb Peabody will be the final decider on that one. Anyway, As for, those, is. <laughs> for those of you who are wondering what the heck is going on in hockey world, we've got uh, quite a bit of stuff to tackle this week. A little bit about Evander Kane and a lot of kind of moving parts, actually, in the NHL this week in a pretty quick Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. And then we've got uh, some trivia to get to, uh, women's hockey and men's hockey, specifically a little bit of men's hockey update related to the NCHC, what that's going to look like moving forward. Uh, Jack LaFontaine in the Carolina situation, some Olympic rosters, that have some college faces the latest on the minnesota wild they played in against anaheim the other night and the all-star game as well they've it's been released and a lot of people are not happy with the selection process so we'll talk about that and then our extra ice session a little bit of a center topic but we're going to talk about um teddy balkan and that situation uh out there in the east coast so you won't want to miss it and we're going to start as always with center ice view news and notes and the huskies illustrated weekly roundup Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. And once again at the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and it starts with, well, Evander Kane, and it, you'll how about Ooh. this? It always, it ends with Evander Kane too, actually in his world. So, uh, but the saga continues, right? So, uh, San Jose Barracuda, mind you, he was sent down uh, to the minors to play with the Barracuda, uh, giving him a chance to to still be a part of the organization, uh, to still play hockey. And uh, apparently, after a few games, uh, even the Barracuda said, "We're done with this kid," right? So. They, he was sent on unconditional waivers with the intent to terminate his contract, um, and that actually happened. So now uh, some more moving parts to this, right? So um, there was talk, well, since he's an unrestricted free agent, technically, um, could he sign with another team? He was linked to the Edmonton Oilers for some time, but now hold on. We have a pause on that, right? So the reason why he was sent to have uh, his contract terminated was because um, allegedly he went across the U S Canada border um, eight days after testing positive with COVID and essentially wasn't 
you know, forth right, uh, forthcoming with that. So that's a huge no, no. Um, that would be a violation of, of some of the, pro, uh, the COVID protocol set forth by the NHLPA um, as well as the NHL. So um, although they filed a grievance with that, meaning the NHLPA, that's under investigation. Um, and unfortunately, until that investigation now by the league has been completed, he will unable to be uh, signed with another team as they uh, figure out, um, was it indeed true that he do that? All that good jazz was he forthcoming in this COVID protocol? So Evander Kane still continuing to make headlines. It's yeah. kind of like Sean Avery, Noah. Uh, he just <laughs> never seems to, uh, you know, never seems to not be in the headlines for uh, unfortunately not positive reasons. You know, it's weird too, because, Theoretically, so like you mentioned, the NHLPA is actually backing Evander Kane's contract and filing a grievance against that termination. Meanwhile, the NHL and pretty much every other entity related to the NHL is investigating this saying, you know, why did you do this? You should have had your contract terminated. We support this. So it's funny because the NHL can conclude their investigation, which is technically separate in some senses from the grievance. So it was actually a weird, weird thing saying where that actually – until the investigation from the NHL came out, Evander Kane could have technically signed with a team, a la the Edmonton Oilers, for example. And then the NHLPA actually could have successfully, you know, went through the grievance process and found out that Kane's contract should have been reinstated with the San Jose Sharks and San Jose Barracuda. Therefore, it would mean that his contract would be reinstated while he's playing for another hockey team over the course of the which same would, season. Unprecedented. Would, which would mean you would have two standard player contracts, which in the NHL you cannot have. So in in short, Noah, right, is the NHL is looking at this from the league standpoint. The NHLPA's grievance is with the, with the San Jose Sharks, the team side of it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a mess. Again, Evander's game is, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's, it's always been a mess with him. So uh, we'll just have to follow that, uh, how, uh, that story, see how that goes. Uh, honestly, you know, I don't know how you prove it. That's the thing with the NHL is, you know, can they prove that he did he did um, do what's alleged? Um, and if they can prove that, uh, I'm not sure what the NHLPA can really do about it. Um, it's at the end of the day, I, I think Evander Kane's days in the NHL um, as a very high paying forward are gone, and uh, we'll have to see exactly how how it transpires. So it, it's interesting nonetheless. So yeah, it is super interesting. I, kind of a weird thing to follow and again like you mentioned i mean it might come into the play where uh you know the canadian government and the american government in terms of that border crossing might come involved those protocols as well too but uh we'll keep you up to date like nick had mentioned and uh yeah moving on to i i think you got some more news about some signings around the nhl a lot of stuff going on this week it's a lot of nhl signings yes uh some good some like what the heck are they doing and like yeah that makes sense so uh minnesota wild um, actually locking up John Merrill to a three-year extension, $1.2 million annual cap hit. Uh, this is a great signing, uh, especially at the value of the contract, Noah. So an altogether $3.6 million for the three years as a total package. Uh, 11 points in 34 games. Again, he's more of a stay-at-home defenseman, more about keeping the puck out of the net rather than contributing offensively. Although at times we've seen spurts of it, right? So um, I think this is a great signing for the Minnesota Wild who um, just – what eight months ago? No, we had no idea what that bottom three actually were going to look like. And now, yeah. with what the Wild have and what the job Bill Guerin has done, um, I don't think the Minnesota Wild would trade 
any of the defensemen that they brought in. Um, it's been worked really well with him and Dmitry Kulikov as that uh, really solid third pairing. So congratulations to John Merrill, uh, you know, for his uh, extension. He's in the 94th percentile for defense and 93rd for discipline. So he's a guy uh, that plays good defense and also doesn't take too many penalties. So it's a great overall value contract. I'm really happy he's staying because I think, um, he's going to be needed as the wild go through uh, the cap hell that's going to be starting as early as next season. Um, how about other signings? And if you're a Bruins fan, you like it. But if you're a teammate, meaning if you're a goaltender on the Bruins, maybe you don't like this. <laughs> Tuka Rask actually coming back one year, $1 million officially as an NHL contract. Um, so this is interesting, right? Noah, because you had Jeremy Swayman, you had Linus Olmark that were both signed and basically said, you're going to be the duo, right? Um, Jeremy Swingman, because he's waivers exempt and had really done most of the workload, he's the one that gets moved down to AHL Providence. Uh, this, I'm not sure how this conversation, I think that's the big question I have is, yeah, Tuka Rask, sure, we all know he's a great goaltender and no question he is NHL caliber, but I can't, you kind of wonder how the conversation went with Jeremy Swayman, who, you know, this was sort of his mantle at the beginning of the season, the off season, all signs are pointing. He took it. I think he played well. I guess if you are, if you're the, you know, the, the GM for the Boston Bruins, Noah, how, how do you carry out this conversation and, and, and not have bad blood if you're Jeremy Swayman? This is a tough call. Yeah, I think that this is an intriguing one. Like you had mentioned, one year, one million, actually only $545,000 will be earned by Tuka Rask because it's, uh, prorated yeah exactly so um you know when you have this conversation i think that the one thing you kind of have to go back to for jeremy swayman is he's a lot younger than tuka rask right tuka rask you know approaching 35 years of age and that's something that i think is part of the conversation is saying you know what you're going to get your call up you're going to be you know in the mix as the next conversation linus omark is not going to be the savior of uh the boston bruins but jeremy swayman might be the next guy in net that gets a look for the future. So I think that that's part of the conversation is just saying, you know what, you're the guy that we have right now pegged as the potential future for the Boston Bruins and net Tuka Rask is going to continue to age. We'll have to see how he does. Who knows? Tuka Rask played well the other night, but honestly, you know what, his game could fall off a cliff in the next two weeks and things could change very rapidly too. So um, I think, it's one of those cases similar to how you would treat a Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi and saying, you know what? You paid your dues. We recognize that continue playing well, and you're going to get your shot again. I don't know. You know, it's not the same, but it is at the same time, right? Noah, because there are 12 forward spots. There's only one goaltender spot, essentially, you know, there, if you could argue too, right? Well, all Mark's contract, you know, it's, it's not waivers exempt. So for him to be sent down, you have to be sent on waivers, no question that maybe a team picks him up. So that would leave you with, again, less depth in the organization. But if I'm Jeremy Swayman, you know, it's, yeah, the age is, is one part of the conversation, but it's also like, I don't give a, you know, if I'm him, I don't care about the age, right? It's, this is my net. I've earned this. And I get that Tuka Rask has been a staple on this on this net for so long, but I think if I'm him, my concern is, would you do this to me again? Let's just say Tuka Rask leads into an Eastern Conference final. Hell, how about a Stanley Cup final? And then Tuka Rask says, you know what? Maybe I'll give it another round. I'll sign for another year. Say Boston does that. Now what does Jeremy Swimming do? Does he demand a trade? I don't know if it's as easy as you make it sound. If I'm Jeremy Swimming, I'm pretty pissed off. Yeah, but I think, I mean, time solves everything, right? And, you know, 
the the Maybe. thing the, <laughs> the thing that we've seen from Jeremy Swayman is we know that he can play net in goal. So I think that if there's something that doesn't develop as the season moves forward or at the end of the year, I think he's enough of an intriguing piece for a team that they give him a look, you know, and maybe put him behind a veteran netminder um, and, and see how he performs or see how he assimilates. I mean, you know, or throw him on a team like the Arizona Coyotes, who you had a great performance from their netminder the other night, but you never know how they're going to be long term too. So I think there's. I think that above all, your play dictates as much of the talking. And as a goaltender, we know how limited the spots are. But the only thing that Jeremy Swayman can control right now is how he plays in the AHL in Providence. And we'll have to see how he moves from there. And we'll have to see how Tuka Rask performs, too. Again, you never know. The man could get injured next week, too. I mean, it's been a while since he's played competitive hockey. He's only played one game to this point at time of recording. So we'll have to see. Uh, moving on to some other uh, signings in the executive world, Hall of Fame defenseman Nick Lindstrom joining the Detroit Red Wings staff as vice president of hockey operations. Fifty-one Who's that years guy. Of, yeah, well, I'm <laughs> about to I'm about to tell you here. Fifty-one years old, seven Norris trophies, four Stanley Cups, a Conn Smythe, and uh, twenty seasons playing all of them with the Detroit, with the Detroit Red Wings. The first European captain in history in the NHL to hoist the Stanley Cup. That was back in 2008. So uh, the Swede, yeah. Not a bad career, and he's continuing to carry that over into the executive piece. Uh, what a great pickup. He actually doesn't have a whole ton of like pro scout experience and that sort of thing, but uh, I'd say playing pedigree might trump all, and that's the position that he might be able to figure out, I would think, if it's anything like his NHL career. Um, in Los Angeles, former Montreal general manager Mark Bergevin has been hired as a senior advisor to the GM after 12 seasons with the Canadians. Um, he was fired with the club less than uh, about two months ago. I Actually, probably about six weeks, something like that. So uh, Mark Bergevin headed to Los Angeles. Um, in Let's stick with the NHL here before we go with the next story here. Uh, former Minnesota Wild netminder Alex Stalock, he was placed on waivers today by the Edmonton Oilers. Now on the surface, you think, oh, no, that's not a good thing. It's actually a very good thing. Uh, it means that Alex Stalock has been cleared by his doctor this week, and hopefully they're trying to give him some playing time in the AHL is what that means. Uh, he was initially expected to miss the entire season due to myocarditis, and he was not. Uh, he has not played in the NHL since 2019-20. So um, congratulations to Alex Stalock, hopefully, in getting back to his NHL return. I thought he was a great addition for the Minnesota Wild before he had his heart ailment and got moved uh, over to the Edmonton Oilers. Um, so best of luck to him. And, you know, quick comment. So you talk about goaltenders where if he plays well enough, he could certainly get a look with an NHL team that maybe is looking for a backup or maybe just an upgraded net as a rental. Um, I could see somebody taking a shot at him and he wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't cost the team. I don't think very much money that would acquire him. So he's a name that could be on the move. Cause there certainly isn't uh, at least from my understanding, any room in Edmonton, at least at the moment, you never know. But uh, I think he's a guy that could be on the trade block to help uh, a playoff potential team, maybe as early as the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Him and Jeremy Swayman are on the same uh, search, if you will. I, uh, you know, and one destination here, Nick, speaking of, Injury news: The Buffalo Sabers goalie woes continuing here. Um, Uko Pekalukinen is week to week, and Malcolm Subban is month to month. So they look to their uh, reserves. That's Craig Anderson, who's still month to month, and Dustin Tokarski is still week to week after a bout of COVID nineteen. So the current netminders, Michael Hauser, who was kind of the success story from the ECHL of last season, playing four games, he's up with the big club as well as Aaron Dell in that situation. So she called David Ayers. I think the Zamboni <laughs> driver does a pretty good job. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. And uh, so uh, the Buffalo might be a team that might be in that mix if Alex Daylock starts to play well, too. And uh, Buffalo sitting 10th in the Atlantic Division at 10 and 19 on the season. So actually doing all right, I would say, compared to how 
decimated their squad in general and their goaltenders are. But nonetheless, we'll keep an eye on that one. And our final topic today, Nick, that we're going to talk quite extensively about uh, in the main portion of our show, but let's give you some insight here. The Olympic Games coming up and the United States has solidified their roster. A couple of big names in the college hockey world. Ottawa Senators prospect, University of North Dakota defenseman Jake Sanderson. Um, he's recently captained the 2022 World Junior Team before that got shut down. Um, so he's going to be on the club. St. Cloud sending a defenseman, Nick Perbix, and forward Sam Henches uh, to the squad, as well as head coach Brett Larson, who will be the assistant to Mike Sullivan uh, in the upcoming games. Uh, Sanderson and the rest of that group joins Michigan's Matty Berniers and Minnesota Golden Gopher Brock Faber as the three players during the World Juniors that were extended an invitation to the Olympics by hockey architect, former NHL goaltender John Van Beesbrook. Um, three Golden Gophers, two Michigan Wolverines, and one player from Duluth and Mankato are sprinkled throughout those rosters. And welcome in episode number 95 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson. Nick, we got a lot to talk about in about a half an hour's time here. So um, I do want to ask, though, for the Caleb Peabody fans out there, where are you actually? And I... I hear that, speaking of lights, the light situation in your uh, former studios is uh, not on the up and up, so to speak. It's on the down and down, actually. So, <laughs> um, you know, holidays are finished and you know, it's one of those where, uh, you know, the, the, the decorations have to come down. They're in the process of coming down. So we're in a, uh, a secondary studio, you could say, um, until that process is complete. So just trying to uh, stay out of the way per se, if you want to call it that way, but uh, <laughs> it works, right? Um, I carry the studio basically with me in my backpack uh, basically all the time just uh, for these kind of things to happen. So no harm, no foul. And uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are. And uh, we'll have to see how much of a field day Caleb has with that one. So glad to have you with us as always, Nick, I'm actually getting set. We're recording this one tonight on Saturday, January 15th, a little bit earlier than normal, not by much though, but uh, I actually have an NAHL game to call tonight. The Minot Minotauros hosting the North Iowa Bulls. And I was just telling Nick off air, kind of an interesting story. Uh, the Chuckapuck, I uh, pot which was about twelve hundred dollars last night a six-year-old or five-year-old kid actually hit the shot uh to win the pot of money and his dad was pretty ecstatic so that was a really cool moment uh for us to kind of check that out it was probably the the loudest the building got all night actually but the taros uh winning that game four to one so exciting things on the docket related to the college hockey world one of the things that nick and i were also talking about off air is uh uh, get used to this name, potentially Zach Sandy, uh, Minot Minotaro. He's actually headed to the University of Minnesota Duluth and his commitment, a good pickup there um, by that group. And then Kate Nielsen, who's a Mankato commit, is also around the state of hockey as well, too, on that Minotaro's club. So a lot of college hockey names and commits starting to come in. Jackson Panzer, another one for the University of North Dakota. So exciting to see all those players get to play. Although, of course, Jackson Panzer uh, is back playing in Grand Forks, his, uh, his relation to Braden Panzer um, is on the team as well, too. But none of that, or enough of that, however you would say that, um, we're going to head over some trivia and related to St. Cloud State Huskies hockey. It's been the first time that we've had a not live trivia question in about a month or so. So the question did read here, Nick. St. Cloud State men's hockey, they were supposed to play Denver this weekend in Colorado. Um, they have not beat Denver since December 11th and 12th of 2015, a 5-2 and 6-2 win that weekend for the Huskies in a sweep. Going by date played, which, which NCHC foe is the next longest that St. Cloud State has not beat recently in, their, in the opponent's rink, and what was the date of the last win? I don't expect you to get the date, 
but who is the last NCHC team that it has taken the Huskies the longest to get a win in the opposing building? It's got to be Nodak. It is Nodak, actually. University of North Dakota, January 25th, 2019 was the last win there. Next on the list, do you think you can get this one? Western Michigan. It is not Western Michigan. It's actually the University of Nebraska, Omaha, February 23rd, 2019. So the other piece to kind of throw in there, too, is um, we didn't include the pod last year, too. So this obviously has some bearing on those things as well, too. Then it's Western Michigan, March 2nd of 2019. Then the University of Minnesota Duluth, January 9th of last year, uh, just over a year ago. It was the last time the Huskies won up at Amsoil Arena. Miami, February 13th of last year. And then Colorado College, of course, uh, the Huskies already beat them at Ed Robeson Arena, that new facility there on November 6th. So, um, yeah, Denver University, though, the Huskies just not able to find their way in that building. And now Western Michigan, as you have mentioned, is kind of becoming that new building uh, on the other side of things. It's been a challenge for the Huskies as well, too. But let's talk about uh, what's coming up on the docket for St. Cloud teams. Of course, women's hockey was off. They were supposed to play Ohio State, and they had their own COVID um piece as well too so Bemidji State is the next to host the women's hockey team up in Bemidji there at the Sanford Center and the men's team uh their series with Denver is actually just pushed back uh heading out to Denver there but Nick besides that the NCAC is going to have a real shuffle related to some things related to scheduling because of the COVID outbreaks and I hear that you have a little bit of information related to what that means for the Huskies and what that means for the NCAC as a whole Yeah, so I spent uh, a a good chunk of time with uh, Associate Commissioner Michael Weissman. Um, And in fact, it's interesting because I I reached him out actually over a week and a half ago. And uh, you could could certainly tell that the stress was in the room, that, you know, there was the old crap, here we go again sort of mantra. But it was something I kind of saw coming, um, you know, with the the rising cases and everything. And I kind of wondered because last year they built in sort of off weekends to try to shuffle stuff around. They didn't do that this year. And so um, a couple of things, right? So a lot of the fans wondering, how is this going to play out, right? So from what we're hearing, the series with Duluth, which was supposed to happen two weeks ago, the leading thing that I'm hearing from the NCHC office is that could be played over the course of two weeks during a Tuesday. So what would happen is uh, the Huskies would either be at home for the weekend prior because it would be a home series, right? And then they would host them on Tuesday, say, February 11th. I'm just throwing on a date. And then they would play that second game of the series the following Tuesday. Um, from what I'm hearing is that that's supposed to be whatever they come up set in stone uh, sometime this next week after the Martin Luther King holiday. Um, second thing from the, from the commissioner's office, no pod. It's not going to happen. Um, you and I talked about this, um, you know, this, the logistics, the timing, um, Weissman, you know, basically said it, you know, it would take us three weeks of a total league shutdown just to get everybody there to get the personnel in there. It's just not feasible. Um, so with that being said, no pod to continue the rest of the season, which brings us to the next most important part. He admitted to me, um, that they're out of options now. Um, we saw the schedule changes um, that the NCHC posted uh, late this last week. Uh, a whole bunch of them. In fact, that was Thursday. It came out with her. Was it Wednesday night? I'm, I do apologize. Um, but he admitted it goes after this. If we have more postponements or more interruptions, it could likely lead to cancellations, meaning no makeup games, which could all, would offer an imbalance in games played amongst uh, the teams that are in the conference. So um, they're they're crossing their fingers. They're confident that. You know, with six of the eight teams, he tells me have gone through a COVID outbreak. They really think that better days are ahead, uh, but not to say that, you know, that's out of their control. So 
Uh, that's they're going to cross in their fingers as you and I are. The one thing he made abundantly clear, and this is something I think uh, most NCAA fans should be uh, should be should be happy about, is the tournament. Both the XL Energy Center, the Frozen Faceoff, is going on as scheduled, and so is the first round. He told me right now there's no ch- uh, plans to change the formatting; that it would still be a best of three the weekend prior. Uh, this for the seating. And that basically, to quote Michael Weissman, unless the state of Minnesota, the city of St. Paul, or somebody said, you literally cannot have this tournament and cannot have fans, it's not going anywhere and it's going on as planned. Yeah, so it should be interesting, obviously, like you mentioned, it kind of backs against the wall in terms of the Husky scheduling. Like we had kind of talked about last week, there's no really buffer uh, in terms of any weekend that they have any play. And I would say the one weekend they maybe do is that best of three first round series. And it sounds like the NCHC is taking that stance. And like you had mentioned, similar to what we saw from Denver and CC last year, points percentage seems like it will be the likely candidate in terms of if we get to there. Yeah, points percentage, and then if and then if you think about this too, it's points percentage, and then I'm going to imagine games played. So if you have two teams that are at 650 win percentage, but you have one team that's played more games, um, do slide they? It down. Yeah, yeah, it slides you down because yeah. your points percentage actually would drop. Correct. Uh, another thing, Noah, just to throw another angle to this is I asked Michael Weisman because of that scheduling sort of um, idealism, right? Where this year they they really didn't think they'd be dealing with this again. And so they didn't build in those buffers, right? And I asked him, you know, so for next season, this has happened now two years in a row. Would you consider re-including the buffer? And he told me, hey, the schedule for next year, it's already done and approved. Already yeah. done. Um, so, you know, it happens that basically from what I understand in December, early January is when that following season schedule is um, presented and approved. But he did tell me that there is uh, a procedure in place where if they really want to relook at things such as if more procedures or I should say interruptions happen um, as we go through the end of this regular season and they really just don't have they lose a lot of games, mind you. For these schools, right? A lot of the revenue generators from ticket sales. So if you start losing these games, especially for the home team, you're losing a lot of that revenue, um, which has really helped to offset your operating costs, right? So um, it is important for this league. They really want to do all 96 games on the schedule. Um, They understand that both for the league and for the schools, this is how they get that money back to operate the programs. Um, So they're doing whatever they can to avoid it. But um, don't don't be surprised if there's more interruptions. We could see um, maybe a different looking schedule next year just to make sure that they can play all 96 games. Yeah, certainly. I think from the Huskies perspective, the hardest part was the fact that you only played in the first week of December and then the last day of December. So I think, you know, a lot of teams played that following weekend, whatever it was, the 11th and 12th. And I think that's always hard too. you know, in hindsight, knowing that that could have been a weekend where one of those weekends could have been made up. But, you know, that's just the way that it goes. No one can really um, have a crystal ball and foresee things very clearly. Um, Speaking of crystal balls, though, and things that we did not foresee at all. Let's talk about Jack LaFontaine. The Minnesota Golden Gophers heading to the oh, Carolina God. Hurricanes uh, organization there. Um, yeah, my parents are big Gophers fans, and I called them and told them the news. And uh, my dad was – I dropped an F-bomb. <laughs> I wasn't happy. You know, he's like, he's like, really? And then you have, you know, a couple of Golden Gophers going to the Olympic rosters that we're going to talk about next year. But, you know – if you're Jack LaFontaine, the Canes have had injury trouble, which was kind of something that you and I had talked about off air. He sees an opportunity in the AHL, potentially in the NHL, you know, being with the big club, maybe getting a couple of games. And he's in the fifth year at Minnesota. He had one semester left. All of his teammates were actually very supportive of him in this move. I'm going to imagine Bob Motzko less than supportive, not in the terms of, 
you know, personally, but I think just in terms of what it means for his squad and Jack LaFontaine was the guy in that. What, how do you make sense of all this if you're Jack LaFontaine and if you're Bob Motzko and if you're the rest of us kind of looking from the outside looking in? Sure. I, I think it's important to understand the preface of this, right, Noah? It's not that Jack LaFontaine saw Carolina injured, called them up and said, hey, do you need a goaltender? No, right. Carolina called him. Right. So you have to understand, I don't put the burden on Jack LaFontaine. If you get the call to go to the show, uh, you, and especially for a goaltender, we just talked about this um, with the Boston situation. There's only one open spot every single night and a backup, right? There's limit more limited spots for goaltenders. So if you get a chance to get into the NHL and get experience, you take it. You absolutely take it. Um, I, I've heard of, you know, different conversations surrounding where Minnesota, you know, they're starting to get more of the high level talent recruitment again under Bob Moscow's regime. And, you know, they talk about the culture that that may create some of those unintended consequences. And, you know, do they say, is this a stepping stone program? Well, like you said, it's, he's a fifth year guy. Um, it's his last semester. Now, granted, as a college hockey player, I think you're so focused on that, right? You want to help your team win a national championship. However, when you're a draft prospect and, you know, the uh, Don Waddell gives you the call, says, hey, man, you know, this could be your time to shine. I don't think anybody in the right mind is going to, you know, not at least explore the opportunity and whether that's the right move. Um, and for him, he decided, you know what, it's time for me to go. Cause at the end of the day for college, it's a continual turnover, right? Where it's always next man up. Um, and at the end of the day, the NHL, you may never get that call again. Right. So I think um, Eric Vigo, who uh, does uh, a lot of work with the soda pod mentioned it very eloquently, which is, when you have a shot to go to the highest level of the league uh, in, in hockey and it, you, you take it. So I, I don't blame Fontaine. If anything, uh, mm -hmm. you, you maybe want to look at Carolina as why would you go to college? But he was on their depth chart and, you know, they were in a desperate situation. So it's a unique set of circumstances. And I, I really don't blame Jack Fontaine. If I'm in his shoes, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously considering it. Do I make that same call? I'm not sure. You know, I've, I've never been in that never will be. Um, but <laughs> hard to blame him right I, I really do feel like it's hard to blame him passing up yeah. a chance to play in the nhl you know and the, he talked about himself he said it was within the span of 20 hours that from phone call the deal signing i mean it was a quick process too and mm -hmm. you know like you said uh the one thing with jack lafontaine that makes us interesting too of course he's the reigning mike richter award winner say what you want about dryden mckay he is not having the same season that he had last year you know he he is I, he hasn't dropped off a cliff by any means, but he's not having the same type of numbers there. He's been a little bit inconsistent. And that's another piece too, where you kind of, you know where you are as a player, you know how you, you are performing. And then when you get that call and know that a team wants to take a chance on you at that particular juncture, I think that goes into it too, knowing that, you know, what if it is where he waits the extra six months and then doesn't ever get that call because he has a very poor second half of the season. So um, again, it's easy for us, I think on the outside to, to look at that. I think it's easy for Bob Motzko and granted, I haven't heard too much about his. I just know that as a coach, losing your starting goaltender is a <laughs> very challenging not thing. Easy. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for, the number eight team in the country. So, um, and then they're losing a couple bodies to the Olympics as well, too. So, you know, definitely I agree from Jack's side. You can understand that piece too. Um, it's easy to paint him as the bad guy, but I, there is so much more that goes into it. And honestly, you know what? He's signed his contract. He's a, he's a professional hockey player now. So I would say from all of us, from Huskies land or wherever uh, you're watching hockey, best of luck to Jack LaFontaine. Let's see what he can do at the next level and see if he can get into an NHL game and perform well. Um, speaking of the next stage, the highest stage of international play, the Olympic rosters for the United States have been released. And there's a lot of college hockey faces uh, that are dotting this list. Um, 
Canada's list, uh, as far as I've seen, has not been released yet. But one of the familiar faces has actually been Eric Stahl, who's been kind of using the Iowa Wild to his advantage. Actually scored the other night in his professional tryout offer. A nice little rebound chip in for number 14. Yes, you heard me right. Number 14 for the Iowa Wild because Matt Boldy wears number 12 still, even though he's with the big club. So Eric Stahl would like to be with the big club, but he's not. So he's trying for the Olympics and Team Canada. But let's switch our gears back to Team USA, shall we, and take a look at who's on this list. Uh, a couple of notable college forwards that we should throw. Matty Berniers, as we have mentioned. Brendan Brisson, both Michigan Wolverines on that list. Noah Cates from Minnesota Duluth. Uh, Sean Farrell from Harvard. Sam Henches, who? Never heard of him. Matthew Nyes from the University of Minnesota. Uh, Mark McLaughlin from Boston College. Ben Myers from Minnesota. And then the other... Uh, Minnesota-based Nathan Smith is the last forward in the college hockey realm. As far as defensemen from college hockey, Brock Faber from the Golden Gophers, Drew Hellison from Boston College, um, Aaron Ness, I, I throw that name out there because that's a former Golden Gopher from Providence in the AHL right now, age 31, Nick Perbix from St. Cloud State, Jake Sanderson from North Dakota, um, and then Drew Cremeso from Boston University at 19 years of age rounds out the starting goaltending gig there, as well as Strauss Mann, who's a former Michigan Wolverine, too, playing in the SHL right now, too. So, Nick, um, a lot of interesting names. One last one I'm going to throw at you before I get your opinion here. David Warsawski at age 31 years of age. <laughs> what an interesting career he has had in terms of NHL appearances. But how about this? He was part of that 2010 world junior championship team in which John Carlson scored the five to four overtime winner against team Canada, uh, 2016 world championship. And now he's headed to the Olympics here as well, too. So it's been an interesting ride for some of these players. Um, what were your first impressions uh, when you saw some of these players? Nick Shore is another name. That's also Nick Shore, yep. yeah, former, I believe, DU pioneer, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yep. DU pioneer. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny how, the you how to say this lightly right so last time we had this happen right where this was sochi right um when the nhl wasn't uh, allowed to go 2018 uh, yep. 2018 um the level of play wasn't as great right so the, really the only band-aid is to put your young stars who maybe can at least play the game a little bit faster have the skill we know about sam henches we know about nick perbix uh we know about jake sanderson as much as he plays for he's a hell of a defenseman uh was a top was he a number three overall pick or number five uh when he was drafted so i mean he's good um but this is exciting to me um you know and this is a great chance how about for college hockey to showcase what they have on the world yeah. stage um so i look at it that way whereas you know, is it the, is it going to be the same tournament as it was that the NHL was going? No, I get that. It, it is what it is. Um, but I think it's a great way for Team USA to show that the interdevelopment program they have, and more so for college hockey, to say, you know, almost to the Canadian development system, you know, the CHL, which encompasses so many different leagues, right? The Q, uh, the OHL, the WHL, uh, to say, hey, you know, we can be just as good at developing young players as those guys. Uh, I know that's seen as sort of the premier development system up there uh, north of the border at our friends in Canada, but great way to showcase that we you know we're just as good if not better so i'm excited to see these guys perform um it'll be a little bit uh sad to see sam and nick be part of the san Jose state lineup as they go forward as well as head coach brett larson as you mentioned being an assistant um but you know there we go you, you can't pass up this opportunity same with jack clonfontaine you get the opportunity to wear the red white and blue you go take it so i'm excited to see it and i think it's, it's going to be good hockey yeah it should be good um nick abruz 
how do I say this? A bruise easy. Um, I think is how you say it. He's also a Harvard player. I missed him in the forward group. And then Kenny Augustino, uh, don't forget he played at Yale um, and actually won a national championship. I believe with Yale um, from 2010 to 2014, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was part of that group there. So 29, 29 years of age, he's been in the KHL. Um, so a lot of, current and former college hockey players dotting this list. Nick, before we jump on to our last main topic of the regular portion of the show, I want to posit another question about this team. Because like you mentioned, the NHL was originally slated to be part of the Olympics till they backed out in mid-December, and then it moved over to finding the next best available players. And my mom actually called me the other day, and we talked about this. And she said, well, it's not fair. You know, it's not fair that some of these teams like Minnesota, Michigan, St. Cloud, they get dinged for having good players, and it affects them at a pivotal point in the season. And I said, you know, well, obviously the NHL, you know, uh, originally was supposed to be in that group, and it wasn't supposed to be college players, but now it's the next player available. And if you're a player like Sam Henches, you know, and you get that call, where would you, you know, put yourself to a chance to play on the Olympic stage too as well. So Nick, you know, for fans like that, and I can kind of see that perspective, obviously you have your favorite college team, you know, you're a Gophers fan, you're a Wolverines fan, you're a Harvard fan. Harvard has two players on that list too. You're losing a couple of good players and the Gophers, of course, losing Jack LaFontaine too. How do you, how do you kind of respond to that and say, you know, how, how do these kids make the decision and is it fair to take some of these college players away from these programs? I think the question is framed incorrectly, honestly. Um, I don't think it's about what's fair to the organization. It is, you know, what does the what does the player want? At the end of the day, USA hockey can, you know, give out an invite. The player has to accept it, right? So um there's that. And two, what's you know, Minnesota, St. Cloud State, you mentioned Harvard, uh, a couple of schools that have multiple players going. Um, at the end of it, you know, we talk about this at every level of hockey, it's the next man up, right? So are their depths going to be tested? Yes. Um, if all goes well and nobody's stuck in a quarantine situation, they would be back, I believe, in time for at least the NCHC uh, tournament and for sure the NCAA tournament, right? So um, I, I think the big you know, impact to at least rankings as of right now was already pretty much cemented with the non-conference schedule, at least for a lot of the teams that have multiple players going. Uh, but at the end of it, you know, you got to put yourself in that player's shoes. You know, you, you kind of dream – to be on that world stage, such as like Jake Sanderson being the captain of the world juniors, that is the best hockey tournament beyond the Olympics It far all cries better than the Olympics. And that gets shut down because of COVID. Right. Um, when you're a competitor and you get a chance to represent your country, hard to say no to that. Um, yeah. And again, you know, is it going to impact the team a little bit? Yeah. That's just how these things go. Just like Brett Larson and, uh, I forget Mike Hastings too, as uh, mm -hmm. the number one team in the country, although they just lost to Northern Michigan just the other night uh, for their first loss in nine games. I mean, just unbelievable yeah. run that they've had. Um, but again, it's about, it's, it's about what's next for everybody, right? What's next for these players. Um, you know, so it, it's part of, you know, that catch 22, which is when you have good talent, like a Jack law like a Maddie Nyes, like a Nick Perbix or a Sam Henches, what is that next step and when's it going to be right? That's something only those players can answer for. And this is temporary, right? This, you know, and at the end of the day, you lose as a hockey team, you don't lose it. One or two players uh, goes down and you can't fight through it. That's just not an excuse. So um, yeah, it's going to test the depth of these organizations for sure. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to fight through that and you can't suppress an opportunity to do something greater for those individuals just because the team needs them here. It's just, that's not the way it works. I don't know, Nick, sounds like an excuse for the Wolverines missing some players. But anyway, we digress. Owen Power actually named <laughs> uh, one of the players, I believe, uh, to Team Canada already. So, um, you know, 
we'll keep an eye on that as well too. But I definitely agree with your point there and taking that opportunity. And here's the other thing that people have to realize too, you know, let's say Sam Henches goes off and, you know, scores 10 points in the tournament. That might be a, a different thing for the Minnesota wild, putting him back in the conversation as he moves forward or somebody who maybe isn't uh, a potential pick, or maybe, you know, someone like Stephen Camper, who has been out of the NHL defensively for a couple of years, maybe gets another look uh, at the greatest league in the world of hockey. So obviously a lot of things to look forward to and hopefully, they, the Olympics can go off without a hitch and we're wishing the best uh, safe and good hockey for all the players and coaches involved. Let's talk about our last thing in the main show here, Nick, shall we? The Minnesota Wild finally getting back in action against Anaheim last night. Kirill Kaprizov, thankfully back uh, in the lineup for the club. The injury bug is slowly, hopefully going away for this Minnesota Wild group. They looked very good against Anaheim. Who knew that Matt Boldy and Kevin Fiala were best buddies? Now the NHL does know. Um, so very exciting piece on that as well, too. I want to get your thoughts on the Minnesota Wild quickly, but I'm going to throw the last piece of this in here. Kirill Kaprizov also named to the all-star uh, rotation here coming up uh, in just – I don't know, what would it be, four weeks, five Three weeks? or four weeks, Three, yeah. Yeah, uh, not too far away. And we have, of course, all the teams here. Um, the only Minnesota Wild player picked in the Central Division. Nick, how have you thought about the Minnesota Wild's return against Anaheim? And what do you think about the selection process so far for the All-Star game? Because there have been some players that aren't exactly thrilled with how every team essentially has gotten um, another player. Cam Talbot is the other player for the Wild, by the way, too, in that. So. I was going to jump on you for that, but you took it away. Damn it. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I know you're referring to Nathan McKinnon, right? Where it's, it's, uh, he made a, a couple statements where uh, essentially in summary, where he said, you know, it's about kind of a participation trophy, not the best players um, just because every team gets something. Well, you got to remember this for the league, you know, imagine having, a team like the Buffalo Sabres or a team uh, like the Ottawa Senators who as a team, yeah, their records are not great. Right. But the individual player per se um, actually is pretty good. Like for example, uh, Ottawa, Brady Kachuk or Thomas Shabbat, right. Two, you know, good players on their hockey squad, Buffalo. Um, you know, you got some guys like maybe Alex Tuck that could, you know, fit that role. Um, Jack Eichel. Oops. Sorry. He was traded. Uh, but you know, but you know, but, but you have to on a national stage, you're going to pause a season and have, this, you know, fan run up and let's be real. It's a money grab and all-star games, a money grab, right? You have to oblige every fan base. You just have to, there's no perfect way to do this. There really isn't. So to his point, I get it because the selling point is we're, we're getting the best talent and this and that, but that's what the fans are being sold, right? It's not necessarily how the players are being sold. And that's just part of the marketing and the the uh, the revenue generating engine that is the NHL and the business side of things. So um, I get it, I understand it, but uh, at the end of the day, that's just how these things went. It's a fan vote, and uh, well, let's just say even the Hall of Fame votes for the ba- you know for baseball, even for Kirill Kaprizov for uh, the Calder. Uh, sometimes you raise your eyebrow who votes or who doesn't. So it's subjective, but it's the way these things are. Yeah, from what I remember, too, fans can actually vote for the final player that gets added to each team as well, too. So there is one more addition coming to the Ryan roster. Hartman, vote for him. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that, too. Were you a bit surprised that Cam Talbot was one of the goaltender selections along with UC Saros in the Central? Uh, not really. Um, you know, because here's the thing, you know, Cam Talbot, especially early on in the season, did bail out this squad quite a few times. Um, does that mean that he didn't have the best of nights? I was there opening night and, you know, was kind of shaky. But at the end of it, we talk about goaltending, right, and how a lot of sometimes, you know, goaltenders either can be uh, 
uh, a store called Skewed uh, in terms of their individual performance and the team is not running very well, so they're hung out to dry. Or even so, more so, uh, if a goaltender rises and kind of saves their team. I, I think Cam Toba still has a little bit where he's gotten them to here now. Um, so I think there's enough uh, as fan interest in his name because he has performed pretty well throughout the season. Uh, UC Saros has been on freaking fire. Um, yeah. And sometimes you just get name recognition too. So at the end of it, I'm not really surprised. Again, it's a subjective fan vote. It's not, you know, this isn't, you know, 20 journalists or the athletic getting together and voting on the actual best goaltender on metrics. These are fans that are going, yeah, no, that guy's been good. That guy's been good. So what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously fans have their input as well too, but I want to ask the last question related to this topic here, Nick, a couple of notable names left off this list, Brad Marchand, Nazem Kadri, Igor Shosturkin, Mika Rantanen, um, Jacob Markstrom, Aaron Ekblad, Troy Terry, Ryan Hartman, as you had kind of alluded to. If any of those guys or anybody else, do you feel that there was, and I feel like there always is an all-star snub, but do you feel like there was one or two two of those players that you felt, even with this list, even with the current format, maybe should have gotten the call? Marshan for sure. Um, I think, you know, and, you know, he answered the question very eloquently about uh, Patrice Bergeron and how he's been the leader of the club for so long and playing, but Marshan, he's a driver of the offense and that Patrice Bergeron more of a two way forward. He still obviously can put the puck in the net, but Marshan's more of that playmaker. He can create space and uh, more so he can take away space, especially if he wants to say, how do you really, really close? I digress from that conversation, <laughs> but um, you know, there's always all-star snubs, right? And in, in a weird way, this is where the NHL is having a problem that's good, right? Uh, how many times have we had the conversation where there's so much good talent that we can't fit him into an all-star game? Um, so to me, I look at this as the game's talent, the game's growing, essentially. You know, So when you look at the expansions of Vegas, a lot of people were worried, oh, are, we, are we thinning out the, the talent base too much? And then you add Seattle not that long afterwards, just new this year. Are we doing the same thing? No, what this tells us is that there's a plethora of talent. In fact, an overflow of talent that we we could honestly have like a squad A and a squad B for, for an all-star game. And that's a good thing. That means a league is developing the right players, you know, whether it's US, Canada over uh, Finland, Sweden, you know, there's an interest there. And these are we're getting good high quality talent, which means the sustainability of the league is there. So I look at it as a good thing. I mean, obviously. If I'm a player, it sucks if I'm not named, especially if I deserve to be there. But to me, I look at it from a league perspective and go, yeah, this is good. We got players who are pissed off because we just simply don't have enough spots. So I, I like the fact that we have this much talent in the league. You wish you could, you could fit them all, but there's only, what, how many spots for the All-Star game? One for every, there's a couple. So at the end of the day, when they're gone, they're gone. Yeah, nine skaters and two goalies represent each of the teams. Do you feel like maybe it would be better if maybe they moved to 12 skaters and two goaltenders, adding an extra trio, essentially? Do you think that that would maybe add a couple more names that maybe deserve? I don't, you know. Maybe, but I I, I forget. I think there's a financial incentive, too, um, for the All-Star game. I believe so. So, you know, that means you're rewriting that whole thing as well, which, I mean, Maybe in a year or two we'll have another lockout, and maybe they'll discuss it then. Who knows? Uh, But, uh, yeah, no, I, I it, would it help? Sure, in theory. But at the end of the day, you know, I think the NHL likes this discussion that keeps them talking about uh, the league. And uh, again, you know, no matter how you slice it, there's only so many spots. It doesn't solve the issue completely. Yeah. The other challenge, too, of course, is the skills competition. They try to get a player in every part of that, too. So adding more players Correct. obviously complicates that as well, too. Million dollar pot goes to the winning team. I believe it's $125,000 per player. Um, from what I understand, could be wrong. I'm usually wrong, but nonetheless, we're going to move on, I think, uh, to our extra ice session. Um, Nick, anything else to add in the main portion of the show? 
No, I mean, I, again, I'm, I think we're all as, you know, as people cover the NCHC, just a little tip it on that. I think we're all nervous, right? Yeah. Uh, so yes, St. Cloud hasn't played in two straight weeks. Um, and to correct, you know, I think they're still hosting Miami this weekend. Um, they shouldn't be traveling to Denver. Um, from what I should say from, from the schedule that you had texted me, if that is the new updated schedule, then I had Denver on that list. Um, let me look here. Um, Yes, I have no, Saint, uh, I have St. Cloud at Denver February 4th. So that's the latest, the next change, I should say. So yes, Miami is the correct. Yeah, Miami yeah. is the, the, the correct one. And then it'll be Denver February 4th is one of the changes yes. there too. So correct. So um yeah, still waiting to see on UMD, but uh you know, you just kind of hope that, like Michael Weissman said, that you know, this COVID thing has gone through most of the teams, uh, that there's better days ahead and Again, you, you would hate to see actual cancellations um, and continued interruptions because, um, yeah, this again, what, what what worries me, you know, and I think you would agree with me on this point is you start to get a little stale, you know, especially the second half of the season. You want to start building momentum and building something as a team to get prepped, not only for the conference term, but also the NCAA play. And uh, for a lot of teams in this conference, so what there's six teams in the top 20 right now on the rankings, um, you know, it's a league you want every shot for them to continue to play and continue to get better, um, you know, every single night and, you know, try to punch as many tickets you can to the NCAA tournament. So uh, I certainly hope they can do it and we'll just have to wait and see and cross our fingers. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it as always. Hopefully we get to talk about some men's and women's Huskies hockey in next week's show, but let's move on to our extra ice session. Episode 95, our extra ice session, Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant here to close out the show. And Nick, a topic that I, I got to be honest, I don't think I ever anticipated that we would be talking about at any portion in this show. And hopefully it's something we never have to talk about ever again, but uh, it does um, deserve some recognition. And this is, this goes back to one of the fears I think that I've always had as a player, especially, I, I think everybody has when you go play pickup on the pond or, you know, you go play a rec hockey skate, it's, it, you know, I don't want to say it has really any bearing in your mind, but secretly it really is always in the back of your mind. You know, if you have something odd like this and um, what we're talking about is the Teddy Balkan incident um, that uh, essentially he lost his life. He ended up uh, getting his neck cut by a skate. Uh, he ended up falling down to the ice and then was clipped by a player that came over top of him there. And it was interesting because a lot of the observers uh, at the game said that the play was entirely normal, pretty unremarkable for the type of hockey play um, that we see on a nightly basis. Um, you know, and one of the things that has come out of this is uh, teammate Sam Brand started a petition through change.org asking USA hockey to require net guards for youth hockey players has uh, just under 60,000 supporters as of Tuesday night. Um, and he actually released a statement saying that he's not saying that a net guard would have saved Teddy's life just feels like it could have been maybe an avoidable accident. Uh, you know, it was a freak accident that it was no one's fault, but um, you know, maybe we wouldn't have to experience it if there was already a rule in place. And this goes back to actually, if you go play any sort of Canadian games, uh, youth games in Canada, you are required to wear a neck guard. That was a thing that we had when I grew up and we went up and played in Canada. So Nick, your first reactions uh, to the loss of Teddy and uh, kind of your reactions to on the petition by Sam Brand. Well, first of all, obviously the thoughts and, you know, prayers to the family and the friends, the teammates, uh, the community for, for Teddy. And it's terrible, right? Um, yeah. I think it's, you know, and I think the teammates saying it pretty well, you know, it's not like there was malicious intent and, you know, it's just, I don't know how else to phrase it. Right. It's just, it's just one of those things that circumstances just sort of yeah. 
came together at the wrong time at the wrong place. And it's a very unfortunate set of circumstances. And to his point, I think he's right in saying, no, would it have saved him if he was wearing a neck guard? We don't know. Um, but to his point, you know, cause we, we've seen the videos, right? There's plenty of videos circulating around the NHL about, um, whether it's, you know, a, a tendon getting cut or a skin, there's, you know, there's, and we know the consequences of when a, a skateboard very sharp, right. Um, goes into the skin. It, it's like a, it's a knife through butter. I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, it can lead to some pretty uh, nasty consequences, but you know, as far as the vulnerability area of the next side, obviously, you know, when you've got some, uh, you've got some more vulnerabilities there for, for lack of getting too much in depth in the medical side of it. Right. Noah, um, you know, that's where the danger factor gets higher is where that skate play can get. Right. So uh, without getting too much into detail. Yeah. I mean, I think it should be um, a rule um, just as much as Minnesota hockey, right. Has put the stop signs on the backs. Um, there's really big enforcement on checking from behind. I mean, heck let's, let's even talk just briefly about Jack Jablonski, right. Where yeah. that was a, essentially a similar thing where it was not like a vicious, it was not an illegal check. It wasn't anything crazy. It just happened to be where he was far enough away from the boards, the way that he fell and the way that when he hit the boards um, causes his spinal cord injury. So, um, you know, it's rare. That's the good thing is that these things are incredibly rare. Um, in fact, I don't recall hearing of escape, like causing this type of result in, in my lifetime. And I've been around uh, a little bit, yeah. you know, when, so it's and- unfortunate. And, and that kind of goes back to the piece too. Um, uh, you know, thankfully we've, we've had guys who we've seen it at the national hockey league level, Richard Zednick, of course, and Clint Malarchuk, the most famous one and having medical trainers that are a part of that, that are able to do that. But, you know, that kind of goes back to the piece too of, you know, the worst injury I ever saw on ice was, and I mean, I've seen people take pucks to the face, you know, break bones in their face, things like that. Uh, the worst I ever saw was someone fractured three vertebrae that was on my team that got hit from behind. And when I say hit, he got lightly pushed as he was turning. I mean, it was a routine play that just happened to catch him awkwardly into the boards and I'll never forget it to this day, but it also goes back to the piece too, where, um, you know, the development of gear. Cause I, th- I think about this and, and I don't want to get too graphic for people, but you know, it obviously a very sad incident with Teddy, you know, his father was in the stands, you know, to, to experience that. Unfortunately, you talked about, um, you talked about Jack Jablonski. That's 10 years to the day with that incident as well, too. You know, the fear is, you know, I've got hockey that I go to tomorrow night. And the reality is if you, if you cut, you know, a major artery in your neck wrong, you will not make it to the hospital. That is a reality that comes from playing this game. I had teammates, I had a teammate that actually had his finger cut off and thankfully was able to get it surgically reattached too. Those are things that fluke incidents at the end of a fight where someone accidentally gets stepped on or things like that. That is part of that too. And the question is, you know, the game of hockey is not going to change. So how do we make the gear different? And when I grew up as a kid, we used to have the neck guards that you strapped around your neck, you know, that you wrapped around. Is it something where now do they try to build some of those neck guards? Do they try to build them into like essentially the undershirts that you wear that come up and then it will come up through the undershirt around your neck and you do the same thing with the shoulders where you can protect players. But then the challenge is you have players that like to roll those things backwards and they like to try to tuck them down underneath their jerseys as far as they can. So how do you, number one, if you're Bauer or these companies or these leagues, how would you make the change in terms of equipment? And number two, is there a way that you can enforce it uh, readily to make sure that players are safe and nothing like this ever happens again? 
Uh, you know, I'm not sure if a design change really is possible, Noah. And that's the thing is when I, when I wear a neck guard, it's basically like a black tire. Um, yeah. it's more fabric. Um, and I would think there's probably some stuffing in there and goes around. It's pretty comfortable. The thing is the neck is not a stable thing, right? It's a, it's a moving object. There's gotta be flexibility there. So you can't make anything that's really rigid. Right. So that's the challenge, right? Um, cause you don't want to take away, the vision of a hockey player too, because it evident because then almost you're creating more danger from that too, and not being aware of your surroundings. Um, so, but I think really where it comes down to is not necessarily how you make the equipment, but it's almost like how maybe with referees that you do just a once over on the bench before just make sure everybody's wearing it. Um, and I don't think you can really go beyond that. I mean, if a player tucks it down, you're inherently taking a risk that if that happens, that was there and you decided to pull it down. And I think it comes down to yeah. having the conversation with players. And it's unfortunate that it takes an incident like this, right? Where it, it kind of just reignites that conversation to say, Hey, I get that. Maybe this is not the most comfortable thing, but this is why we wear it. And this is what can happen if these things come together in the, in the right circumstances. Right. So, um, and again, you know, you, you almost wish you didn't have to have the conversation. And I know for Teddy's, for Teddy himself, his family, this is not anything you want to be sort of the poster child for, pardon the expression. But, um, you know, at the end of it, you know, you just have to, you know, maybe just do a once all check before the opening draw, just make sure everybody's good. And if they don't have it, maybe just they are not allowed to play just like, and, you know, other pieces of equipment. Right. Yeah. And that's where it kind of goes back for those who don't know, by the way, a hockey skate blade is actually, if you look at a blade straight down the blade, it's actually two edges on your skate. It's actually a U shaped blade. So that's where you have either edge and one of those edges essentially will catch the piece of skin and uh, at, at the right angle. Cause I mean, I've had moments where I've been brushed by a skater had teammates that have been brushed by a skate where they don't inflict any damage just because of the angle and direction so it does take the right angle for things like this to happen that's part of the reason why it doesn't happen so often thankfully and you have to be in the not right place quote right place at the right time so to speak unfortunately um you know but the other challenge too i think it goes back to the uh even if you can make the equipment uh next to the undershirts again how do you enforce it you know unfortunately and i i gotta be honest i mean as much as that fear sits in the back of my mind like you said i accept the wrist every time that i step on the ice too i don't wear a neck guard you know i don't wear anything around my wrist too and that that possibility is definitely there too where um i mean i've seen people who have gotten kicked in the face accidentally by skates that have you know been clipped by somebody falling in front of them or something like that too. It's same with, you know, should NHL players wear cages instead of visors? It goes back to that inherent risk that they sign up for as an NHL hockey player too. So I think it's another equipment discussion. I don't really know what the answer is. I don't know how you, how you enforce that. It's, it's, it's tough because at the end of the day, the game of hockey is, is a false dichotomy as, as itself, right? We're trying to make the game safe for everybody but the same it's a contact sport it's a it's a fast sport the equipment is used can be traveling like a puck over 100 miles an hour and even if you do get hit on the helmet if you get hit on the side of the helmet you still could get uh, like a, a fracture of your skull right so even with the equipment it's not fully guaranteed that you're protected right noah so um there's only so many things that you can do uh to sort of you know prevent things to happen um, but at the end of the day, at the, you know, even if once we, even if we get in a car and drive, there's a risk of something mm -hmm. happening there. Right. So, um, I think it comes down to more enforcement than uh, a change in the design, like you mentioned too. And, uh, yeah, 
first and foremost, as always, uh, just, you know, obviously thoughts and prayers to Teddy and, and the family, the community, the hockey uh, teammates of him. That's that's the most important piece of the conversation. Um, I love the petition uh, to make yeah. it mandatory. I do think that that has to change for sure. Um, so, you know, it's the, especially especially it's less for, likely, especially for players that are not 18 or not you know, Correct. that, that are younger that, you know, maybe don't have the foresight to make that decision too, or, you know, that's what, they, that's why they do it in Canada where, you know, they've made the decision essentially for the players, um, uh, countrywide too. So as you said, uh, you know, wishing, uh, Teddy and that community, the best moving forward. And obviously, um, we share in their loss. And I think that it was good to see the hockey world, the national hockey league and everyone else come together, you know, sticks out for Teddy and that sort of thing to see, you know, the hockey community always in these types of moments finds a way to continue to kind of rally around each other and continue to support each other as we continue to try to make the game safer and grow the game and enjoy the game that we love. So, um, Nick, with that being said, um, do we have anything else to add for the show? Anything you want to touch on uh, before we kind of head out for the week? Is there anything, any burning questions, any Caleb Peabody rants you want to have here? Nah, I, I've got about things to do. <laughs> anyway, so um, how about Kirill Kaprizov? Um, and the, what, it's not necessarily about his play, but it, you know, when I saw the hit and we talked about this, you know, you were kind of wondering what the extent of the injury was. He did not look slow at all. Um, yeah. He didn't look like he was favoring anything. Um, granted, he's probably not a completely one hundred percent, but it was good to see him back out there and you know, watching him closely, especially skate or did he, you know, was he bracing for contact and avoiding something? I didn't really see any of that. I'm not sure if you did know or caught caught the game at all yesterday, but looks like he's good to go. Uh, definitely again scoring a, a couple of assists in last night's game and uh, a thrashing of the Anaheim Ducks, which. It didn't help that their leading scorer, Troy Terry, was out uh, of the lineup. Uh, the former Denver Pioneer could speak into college hockey, but yeah. um, good to get back on the winning side of things. Now three in a row for the while before uh, things get a little bit tougher now um, for this team as uh, some Central Division foes on the docket. So uh, is it Colorado on Monday, I believe, or is that right? Yeah, Colorado on Monday, and I haven't looked beyond that, to be totally honest with you. And I suppose if I can pretend to talk super quickly as I pull up the schedule here, Nick, because we love hockey so much. And, uh, <laughs> of course, the NHL app takes a while to load. But, uh, yes, the Minnesota Wild here, um, they have Colorado on Monday, and they actually don't play until uh, this upcoming Friday. They're actually in Chicago on Friday, and then they're at home on Saturday against Chicago in St. Paul are the next couple of games on the docket there. And uh, then they have Montreal the following Monday at home after that. So um, kind of actually a pretty light schedule because then they're off again until the following Friday against the Rangers. So um, not a lot of weekday games for this team coming up, uh, a, which maybe is a good thing for the return of Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Brodeen, all of these players that, you know, are still trying to get back to 110%, if you will. And uh, hopefully the wild can make a good push uh, into the second half. I mean, is there anything to be read into, you know, the wild, you know, losing five straight, but then now starting to find a role again. It's almost like you want them to be playing games, but do you feel like, you know, with Rem Pitlick now, we forgot to talk about this, Rem Pitlick being claimed off of waivers too. Do you feel like this team with the young guys is starting to take shape as we move into the second half? I think what it shows, and I think this is the most impressive piece, is even without Kirill Kaprizov last Saturday, um, this team not only played well, but this team's depth stepped up and won the game. And Boston's a hell of a good team, right? So if anything, what the shows is, you I mean, you were without Jordan Greenway until last night. Again, you still have been without Jared Spurgeon for a good chunk of time now. Um, Jonas Brodeen's been out. Um, you're missing some key players in key positions, right? So, and yet 
for the coaching staff to be able to put players in the right position. Again, you're having your young guys who spent time in the American Hockey League come up and contribute. Um, and, and for Matt Boldy, he looks like an NHL player right now. I don't think he's going anywhere um, anytime soon. But uh, it shows that even if some of these names go down, this team can survive. And to me, if you want a, you know, a, a litmus test of a true contender, that's your litmus test. Is can some of your best players go down and still find ways to win hockey games? And these guys have won three straight after losing five straight. And again, the last, the last three you've been doing without some major names in the lineup. So that's encouraging to me. Um, I believe in this coaching staff. I believe in this in this roster. I, I really, really, again, not that we ever were – coming down to Bill Guerin, but man, you know, that plan of everything coming, it seems to be like it's coming together quite well. And uh, I can't wait to continue to follow this team as we had into April, into May, and hopefully into June as well. Yeah. And are we that shocked that Victor Rass jumped back in the lineup and scored again? Not at all. <laughs> that's, that's what he does. Right. And it's, it's funny because there's a lot that was made about him being put on waivers again. You know, he, he's not an everyday player uh, with the current roster makeup and, and that's fine. But again, when his name has been called upon, he's performed very, very well. And that's what you need. And as I say the word need because as an organization with injuries, with COVID protocol, you need guys that can step in and contribute and feel good. And Victor Rask has done that. And uh, he's going to be, I think, a very un- – he still is right now, but he's been a very underappreciated part of this team for the better part of a couple of years, and especially right now as this team, again, continues to go through COVID, uh, you know, subtractions per se, and also some of the yeah. injury bugs. So um, good for him because every time he's in the lineup, he seems to be making something happen. So, and that's what you need out of your depth, the guys that are in the lineup every single night. He kind of reminds me, he's a little bit Nate Prosser-esque uh, who just, uh, you know, retired not too long ago, but how Nate Prosser could always jump into a lineup after not playing for X amount of games and look no worse for wear too. So uh, as you had mentioned, you know, a guy that uh, if the Wild are up three to two and lose game six of the Stanley Cup final, you know who's entering game seven. Let's just put it that way because he's good. Right. He's good for a bingo for sure. But uh, nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> I think that will do it for episode number 95 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. We threw a lot of information at you this week, a lot of stuff going on and we're excited to have you with us as always and stay tuned for episode number 96 coming out next sunday we will see you do we will see you soon for nick max and i'm noah grant and we'll catch you soon in the den Seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.